Magic Makers. It's your host, Kelsey Foremost. This is Find Your Magic, the podcast where mental health and entrepreneurship meet. And today, I have such a cool guest for you. Her name is Melissa Guller, and she is the founder of Wit and Wire, a company where she helps creators and just everyday people turn their skills and their passions into profitable online businesses. I came across Melissa a couple of years ago. We were both in a sort of business bundle. I was really starting out with copy class and she had a course on podcasting and I just absolutely loved the way that she taught. And it's no surprise that her course was so good because it turns out her background is all in course creation. She was the director of marketing engagement at Teachable. Teachable is one of the top online course platforms out there. Um, And she also managed Ramit Sethi's eight-figure online course launch team. Eight figures. Can you just like think of all the zeros there for just a second? Eight figures. So she has some street cred when it comes to online courses and launching. And to date, she has taught thousands of students through her courses at General Assembly that she used to do in person, through her courses on Skillshare, and through her own business, Wit & Wire. And she is just so inspiring, and she's on a mission to empower creators to earn money online doing the work they love. But this is Find Your Magic, and we are not just going to talk about making money. We are going to talk about the psychology behind how you scale a business to this point. We are going to talk about the mental health toll, the mental health aspects of creating this level of business. So this conversation is not only chock full of practical tips when it comes to Melissa's two zones of genius podcasting, teaching people how to create a podcast um, from the ground up and market that podcast and also course creation. That's her other thing that she really specializes in. And it's a topic that I'm really into. I'm going to get more into in this year as well, but we are also going to talk about no matter what business you're in the big, the, the mental health crossroads that we come to often when it comes time to make a big decision for ourselves in business, when we have to decide to leave the full-time job that has been sustaining us, um, do we want to stay at that job for the security and have a bigger runway for our side hustle? Or do we take the leap? Do we go full into our side hustle and turning our side hustle into our full-time work? There is so much energy, emotional and practical energy that goes into making these big decisions. And we really dig into not just the theory, but also our own personal stories of why (laughs) it's interesting. Melissa left a full-time job to create Wit & Wire and scale it to $200,000. I actually took a full-time client in order to give myself more space creatively to create better courses and better offerings and not have to worry about money. So we have a flip experience that we both share that I think there's value in both sides. I just am so excited to share this conversation with you. Um, Again, Melissa, 
Her company is Wit and Wire. All of her links are in the show notes below, including some incredible freebies. So do not miss that. And with that, get ready to learn some stuff, y'all. This is Melissa Guller on Find Your Magic. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to see your face and actually make the connection finally. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I think your story is so inspiring. I think there's a lot of, (laughs) I don't know what to call it. Like, you know how there's toxic positivity? That's like a buzzword. I feel like there's toxic entrepreneurity (laughs) out there in the online world where it's like, I think a lot of people feel pressure to appear as though their side hustle is their full-time six-figure job because they feel like that's the only way that they're going to have the credibility to start to get the kinds of clients that they want. But I want to talk about your journey, which is so interesting and fascinating and honestly more common than people realize, which is often we have a full-time job while we are building our side hustle. And then there's a tipping point where that side hustle becomes our full-time job. So I would love for you to tell the people your story. Yeah. I think this is super important and it is funny, right? We pretend to be this big company before we are, but I think being newer, being smaller is such a superpower. You get to do so many personalized things that bigger businesses can't do. Mm -hmm. So to share a little bit about my story, even before I started Wit & Wire, I had been doing full-time work with part-time side hustle for years. I was teaching in-person classes at general assembly. They were super nerdy. They were about Excel and that already was a side hustle. But then after some of my classes, people would come up to me and say, do you offer tutoring? Do you do business consulting? And even though I totally did not, I said, yes, let me get back to you with my rates. And then I would email them the next day with a proposal. And I like to tell that story just because to me, We have this idea about businesses being perfectly formed. Mm. You have the plan in your mind, you execute it, then you're in business. But for me, it was way simpler. It was like when somebody came to me and they wanted help and they wanted to pay me and I said, yes. So that's how I got started as an entrepreneur. And then with Wit & Wire, I knew after working in the online course space for a while as a full-time employee, I just knew I had that entrepreneurial spirit. I had seen what was possible. Like after working for Ramit and seeing how he had grown his own business, then working at Teachable and getting the insane privilege of just seeing tens of thousands of creators building these lives, selling online courses. I was like, I have to try this. I can't imagine the cool stories that you got to witness. It's amazing. I mean, some of my favorite people who I got to meet either talking to them through Teachable's podcast or just through various Teachable happenstance were Deborah, who is a farm setter and raises goats and sells online courses. And that's part of her full-time business or people watercolor painting, flying drones, hand doodling. I mean, truly anything can be an online business. So that was so inspiring. And so what I did is I felt like having a full-time job that I enjoyed was such an advantage to me because I could keep working at teachable. And then on the side, Wit and Wire started off with just blogging. It was always intended to be a business, but I thought, you know what, let me see not only what do I like writing about, but what do people resonate with? Like, what can I put out there where people say, Ooh, like that was really helpful for me. And so initially I focused on podcasting. I felt like at the time in 2019, yes, people were starting podcasts, but frankly, it was more men 
in the space who were educating others. So I was like, let me, let me get into this. I run a couple of successful shows. Let me share my knowledge. And so I slowly over six months built up a small, but mighty email list of about 500 people just from doing that little bit of SEO, a lot of Pinterest. And then to kind of fast forward a lot, it took me two full years before I left Wit & Wire or no, before I left Teachable to run Wit & Wire full-time. So I think that there are so many advantages. You have the security of your stable Mm -hmm. income. You have the freedom to try different things. You also can say no. I think that's huge. Like you don't have to just take every money opportunity that comes your way. You can take the ones that you like and not feel like so desperate to make your next dollar to pay your rent. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of advantages that people don't talk about to keeping that business on the side until that tipping point. Hey, magic makers. I could not be more thrilled that one of my favorite companies in the world has generously decided to sponsor this podcast. And that company is Kajabi. If you're an online course creator, or you've ever thought about creating an online course, chances are you've probably heard of them because they're the number one, most trusted knowledge commerce platform. But what I really would love to tell you guys is how much Kajabi really helped my entire business. Um, and I'm just a fan of them. So I'm so thrilled to be able to share more about all the different products that they have under the Kajabi umbrella. I personally got rid of like five or six other platforms that I was paying for because Kajabi actually replaced those platforms and enabled me to have everything in one seamless place. So I've got my online courses on Kajabi. I've got my templates. I've got my podcast hosted on Kajabi. I use them for all of my email marketing, basically Anything that I need for my business is completely taken care of on Kajabi. And right now they're offering a free 30 day trial, which is so great. It's more than enough time to really understand how the platform works, if it's right for you. And you can go to kelseyformost.com slash Kajabi to learn all about the platform. I've really laid it out in super simple terms for you guys. So you can learn all about why I am a fan for life of Kajabi. That's K-A-J-A-B-I. That's so valuable because I'm in a position where magic words, copywriting was full-time and was successful. And I was absolutely making enough money for it to be sustainable, but I had an opportunity with a big corporate client who was like, we want you to come on as a full-time consultant. And I really struggled with that decision. And it was right before COVID. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to have the bandwidth to be the creative brain that I'm going to need to be to go into that next chapter of what I want magic words, copywriting to be, I cannot be worrying about having enough one-on-one clients and getting enough contracts and enough money to sustain me with living. Like I, I can't do both. And so I took the job and as you said, like it is such a blessing. And what was really hard about it though, was I had sort of been trained to think 
if you are, it felt like I was regressing in a way because I felt like, oh no, I have this successful business that I've built by myself and I could keep doing that and the grind and the hustle. But if I want to really build the brand into what it needs to be to go to the next level in the next chapter and hopefully hire people, then I can't be so focused on immediate survival. It was just such a mind fuck because it was like, it was like, wait, does that mean I'm no longer a successful business person? If I'm like putting my mental health first so that I can show up in a more fulfilling, creative way. Which is crazy, right? Because who's to say that the only valid business owners are the full-time business owners, right? Like who said that, right? I think (laughs) that if you work a job full-time and then you have this freedom to explore what you want on the side, that again, you have this stability, you have so much learning. Like I couldn't be where I am today if I hadn't worked at Teachable for four years. Right. And I think it's funny looking back before I worked at Teachable and even before I worked for Ramit, I started my own business. Mm -hmm. And at the time I thought, you know what? I want to do this full time. That's the goal. And I chose to shut that business down in order to take the job working for Mm Ramit. So I can relate to this feeling of, well, is this regressing? But I had the thought, I'm going to get to work for this eight figure course creator. I'm going to manage his course launch team. And this is going to set me up to be a better business owner in the future. And so I don't know why we have to see the full-time job as a bad thing. Plus every business owner I know Yes, you want to have creative freedom. You want to help others, but like also we're trying to earn money. You know what I mean? Right. And a full-time job does check that box. That's right. So what was the point? What was the tipping point for you then to go back to having Wit & Wire be your full-time gig? Because am I, am I correct that it is now your full-time? It is. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what was the thing that prompted you going back to being in business for yourself full-time? Yeah. So it was actually the point where I went full-time for the first time on my own Mm. business. So I had been always in my whole career working for somebody else. And then I think probably if I start at the beginning of my general assembly teaching journey in 2015, from 2015 through 2021, I always had both a full-time job and some kind of side income. So six years in the making, but wit and wire two years in the making, there was a tipping point about a month, no, a year and a half in where in a great way, I was building up a lot of momentum in my business. Mm -hmm. I had too many clients. I had too many students. These are not problems you hear people talk about. Like I just had a wealth of opportunity and I was working way too much. I was working mornings, lunches, nights, and weekends on wit and wire. And then I was working my regular like 10 to six job at teachable. Yeah. So there just came this tipping point where I couldn't continue doing it. Mm-hmm. I was so overworked. There was this insane moment where I realized I didn't even have time to think. Like it wasn't <laughs> even just that I wasn't accomplishing all the things on my to-do list. It was that I wasn't even having time to process. Should I do this or that? Like that mental space was completely unavailable to me. And yeah. that was a real aha moment. Like, wow, I can't even think about what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Something's mm-hmm. got to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I find it really brave then that you made the decision. I'm going to let go of the stable quote unquote, stable job at teachable and really go full in on wit and wire. But I also think it is the only thing that makes sense. 
Like, absolutely. you know, why, if you, if you are in the position where you have this wealth of opportunity and you're having to spend all of that time and energy on your side hustle, there really is something to be said for just taking the leap because here's the thing. You can always get another full-time job if it doesn't work out. That's the thing that I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid to admit, like, listen, you can quit your full-time job, do your thing for six months. And if it's not working out, you can do another job search and like start I had again. that thought too. Yeah. Yeah. I had the exact same thought because I have so many employable skills mm-hmm. and I knew the worst case scenario which I think is actually very helpful to play out. Like instead of thinking what's the best that can happen in the case of your job and the way that you earn money, Mm -hmm. I think playing out the worst case scenario is for me reassuring because like Mm -hmm. you said, the worst case scenario for me was I could find another job. Yeah. And I've done that before. So I know I could do it again. But even though at this tipping point of doing way too much, I was not making my teachable income again. I was a senior director at a tech startup in New York City. I was not making that kind of money through it and wire. But I had... I think the momentum to say, I think that this is going to work. Like I was definitely making money. I could pay my rent and I had savings. And beyond that, I also knew I couldn't grow more unless I had more time. Yes. So that was the other forcing factor was just thinking, you know what? Like if I want to earn more money, I need to dedicate more time to this. And I can see, I left Teachable in May of 2021, June, July, August, September were double the revenue. Wow. So that time and space, not just to do things, but to think made a huge difference. The proof is in the pudding, as they Mm -hmm. say. I love hearing that. And I also think that this applies if someone is scared to pivot their business, which is another thing that I'd really love to chat with you about, because both of us, before we hit record, we were both saying there came a time where we decided we weren't going to do any more one-on-one work. And there was like a big shift in how we showed up for the people that we serve. And that can be just as scary as leaving a full-time job for the side hustle. So I'd love if you take a second to talk about that moment for you of like, you know, your, your niche, your world had been podcasting for so long, but then there was that sort of, I call it the undercurrent, right? That's like underneath everything where you're like, but I kind of really want to be talking about this totally different thing, which for you was course creation. Mm -hmm. So I'd love if you talk about that process of how you decided to make the shift of no more one-on-one work and also to add the course creation element to the podcasting wheelhouse that you already had going. Yeah. My story might be a little unique because I knew the end goal when I started Wit and Wire. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to talk about course creation and I knew I didn't really want to take on that many one-on-one clients. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to have my primary revenue channel be programs, courses. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I didn't start with that was because as a full-time teachable employee, I was the director of the marketing team at the time. We were of course talking about course creation and strategies all the time. And they absolutely would have let me talk about course creation on the mm-hmm. side, but I just felt like it was too blurry. Yeah. And you know what? Even beyond that, I felt this is insane to say this now, <laughs> looking back. I felt like I didn't have enough street cred, which wow. is and you were objectively absurd. Right. I have I have a stacked resume, right? Teachable, remit, 
I have a Skillshare course with like a 6,000 people in it. I taught at GA, yeah. like all of yeah. these things, but we can't see ourselves very clearly. Right. So in the moment I was like, do you know what I, and this, mm, I'm going to say this. Sometimes I have an issue with our industry, the online business world, because a lot of people have success one time and yeah. then they sell it to others when they yeah. don't really have the expertise to back it up. Do you dream about people coming to your website and telling you, I cannot wait to work with you. I've been looking for this forever. I feel like I already know you. Can I please pay you to help me? Or maybe you just want to feel more confident when you sit down to write something for your business, knowing your words aren't just evaporating into the ether of the internet, but instead are connecting with your ideal customers. Look, after years as a freelance copywriter, I can very confidently tell you that no matter what business you're in, great copy turns words on the page into dollars in the bank, just like magic, which is why I want to make sure you know that my signature course copy class is currently open for enrollment. Now, here's the thing. You can hire a professional copywriter. But honestly, that could cost you thousands and it just doesn't make sense to hire someone every freaking time you need to write something for your business, which is why I specifically designed copy class for non-writers, entrepreneurs who want to learn to write their own high converting copy without breaking the bank or spending hours staring at the blinking cursor of death. Copy class covers everything you need to know from the psychology behind why certain writing works to honing in on your actual ideal customer, AKA people who are truly going to give you their monies to how to write a website that converts start to finish. And finally, how to send emails that convert and sell. So if you want to learn more about copy class, see what's inside and hear from past students, head to kelseyforemost.com slash copy class. That's kelseyforemost.com slash C-O-P-Y-C-L-A-S-S. I love that you said that. I freaking love and appreciate that you said that, Melissa, because I agree with you a thousand percent. I think it is one of the most dangerous things about this industry is that someone has like a viral moment and then rides those coattails to sell things for years to come. And it like, even when it is so not relevant anymore. Exactly. So I have a huge issue with that. So when I was torn between, do I want to talk about course creation, which I would call like my zone of genius. Yep. And then podcasting, which I would call a zone of, uh, I forget a zone of excellence. If anyone mm. is familiar with the big leap and his four different phases. So the zone of excellence is an area you're very good at it. And I definitely enjoy talking about podcasting, but it doesn't like light my heart on fire the way that it does when I can help people earn money. Totally. So with podcasting, I chose it because I thought if I can create a course about podcasting, and scale this up to a six-figure business. That'll make me even more legit. <laughs> That'll add to my street cred, which for some reason I thought was not yet enough. Gosh. Because if I just went right into course creation, I didn't want to be part of that problem. So yeah. I, I had that strategy. And the other thing that I did right from the start was decide that my audience was going to be online business owners. Yeah. So that's the reason why to me, the pivot 
seemed very natural. And it was such an easy transition because I had always been speaking to the person who would benefit from both. Mm -hmm. Podcasting is very broad. I could have talked to anyone, whether they were doing true crime, comedy, whatever, but I knew it was podcasting for online business owners. So now that I'm talking about course creation for online business owners, the email list I've built, the social media following I've built, it's still very relevant to them. So I think just beginning with that in mind made a big difference. Oh, completely. I think knowing who you're talking to is of such paramount importance. I can't understate it enough. I mean, as a copywriting, copywriting is my zone of genius. I love helping people understand how to find their voice and how to actually talk about themselves because hilariously, a lot of us don't actually know how to talk about ourselves. We feel that imposter syndrome. We feel like we don't have the street cred. We over explain ourselves. I could go on, but copywriting, that's my thing that lights the fire under my butt. And it was really, really tough for me personally to let go of the one-on-one clients because that like actually doing the copywriting was so fun. But as you said, I knew I couldn't scale that way. I could only take a certain number of one-on-one clients and I just had to keep raising my rates to a point where I was like, I kind of feel icky about this. I kind of feel icky about charging this much money for people having to come to me over and over and over every time they want to write an email or every time they want to launch something. And so it was a scary switch for me to be like, I'm going to give up my literal bread and butter and create a course so that other people can understand how to be their own high converting copywriter. But it really, there's so much bravery required to be an online business owner because there are so many leaps of faith and the faith is usually in ourselves. We have to trust that we can figure it out along the way. We have to trust that we're going to come up against problems and, you know, unforeseen circumstances, but we trust ourselves enough. We have enough faith in ourselves to deal with it in the moment and move through it. And that's the only way we're going to be able to scale to the point where it's a fulfilling career and not just the way that we make money. I think one of the biggest helpful mindset shifts that's helped me as a business owner is that I don't tie my worth to my business growth, Mm -hmm. because I think that's so easy to do, especially when you're a solopreneur, it's very easy. And I did this a lot in the beginning to look at how much money I earned in a given month and to feel like, wow, I have all this expertise. This number should be higher. Therefore that's a reflection on me. But instead now I think something I learned from working in live corporate events in my, my former career is that when you work in these big corporate events and there's tens of thousands of people, you go into it with a very solid plan, but you also have the mindset that things are not going to go the way that you think. Mm -hmm. So I think that's super helpful too, as a business owner, it's not about your worth, but it's also not about having a plan so perfect that it goes off without a hitch. Like when I try different business strategies, I just try to see all of them as experiments. I've used marketing strategies that didn't work as well, but that's not because I failed. It's not because I am not a good business owner. It's just because that strategy for whatever reason wasn't exactly right at that moment in time. And I learned something from it. And I think that that mindset of just adapting and learning and taking a step back and saying, it's not about me. Let me just kind of take a look at this is super helpful. 
And on the same line of thought, whenever I try something new, like right now, I am two months into being on TikTok for the first time. Like as a human being, I had never had this app before. And now I'm trying it for my business. <laughs> yeah. And I just went into it thinking, you know what? I'm going to do this for 30 days. And if I hate it, I leave. And that's mm-hmm. okay. But for some reason, a lot of our decisions in business feel very permanent. So yes. something that's helped me is just deciding, do you know what? This quarter, this is going to be my experiment. And yeah. I'm going to decide if I keep doing it or if I stop. And either one of those is okay, but I just can't know until I give it a try. Completely. And let's piggyback on that because you said something in a recent podcast episode of yours that I thought was so valuable about being a scalable business does not mean you have to be on every single social media platform and executing every kind of marketing strategy. Like that's actually going to work against you. If you are doing 17 things to try to scale, then you're spreading yourself and your efforts and your money so thin versus bite-sized experiments, right? Like try TikTok for 30 days, see what happens and like actually try it, like go into it with a strategy, sure. Or like with an idea of how it could turn out or like maybe you say, okay, I'm going to try Pinterest for 30 days and see how, if that drives blog traffic, whatever, but don't, I, I see so many people, especially people who are just starting out or who have that like initial fire where they're like, okay, I'm going to have this content creation plan where I'm on Pinterest, YouTube. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to be on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. And, um, also I'm going to, uh, print flyers and post them all around my neighborhood. (laughs) And it's just so much. And it's so overwhelming that of course we burn out and of course it's not effective. So I'd love if you talk about that decision-making process, like how do you scale by making bite-sized decisions. I think we are all so aspirational and we're all so well-intentioned. And at the same time, when you look out into the world, we're trying to learn from others' successes, right? So you see somebody who is an Instagram expert and they're talking sincerely about the growth of their business, the students or clients that they've helped. And so the problem I think is that when you look out, you see all the strategies and all the things, they are all good ideas. And so we assume that they're all good ideas. And if you don't do one of them, that means that you are not maximizing your opportunities for growth. Yeah. You're leaving money on the table. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's almost like this fear, like, oh gosh, if I don't get on TikTok now, I'm missing out. And I think that's just fabricated in our brains. And I think that for any strategy you see, one of three things could be true. The first one is that it could be a good idea for you to do right now. It makes sense for you where you currently are. The second could be, this is a great idea, but not right now. That's how I felt about YouTube. I was always a little bit interested in trying it out, but it was a huge undertaking. And I didn't start YouTube until over two years into Wit and Wire. And that was again, like the experiment mindset. We're just seeing how it goes. And so that was something that in one given quarter was my one main new thing. And then the third category is that's not right for me. I think we just know intuitively, like I do not like being on Twitter. That's like a real personal Same. example. There's just so much writer. growing on. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it's a words place and you don't even like it. Yeah, I don't even like it. I, I didn't like Clubhouse either. I like really tried to get in on that trend and I just, I love podcasting, 
hated clubhouse. Like same. it was so uncomfortable, so uncomfy. And I, yeah, yeah. Say more, just not yeah. a good idea for you. And you know, intuitively. Yeah. Or you have to ask yourself, where does my person actually expect to hear from me? Hmm. And do you know what I think is maybe a tough pill to swallow is that I think for a lot of business owners, it's not Instagram. Like Mm -hmm. think about what you're talking about and then think about how you scroll through social media. Would you want to hear about management tips on Instagram in your free time after work? Maybe not. Maybe LinkedIn is a better choice. Now, obviously this is a wide sweeping generalization. I'm sure a lot of people do have success talking about that on Instagram, but I would just choose, does this feel right to me? And do I think that my person expects to hear about this topic from me on this app? And I think it's very powerful to say no, or for a lot of things, again, you just say like, not now, not like now. maybe later, I think is a really good mentality to have about a lot of strategies. It's way better. I think to do quality over quantity when it comes to not only how many apps you choose, but how often you post mm-hmm. on those apps. Like here's the secret. Here's how often you should post on any social media platform. The answer is as much as you can without hating yourself. Like that is the honest truth, because if you look at your calendar and you're supposed to post a TikTok five times a day, every single day, and you cringe, like that's too many, don't Mm -hmm. do it. You know what I mean? So take everyone else's advice about consistency and posting frequency with a grain of salt, just ease in. You can always Mm -hmm. increase frequency. So start with something that that feels doable. I talk about that a lot with copywriting too, where it's like, if people think of the entire body of work where you need copy, if you think about, oh my God, my website and my captions and my blog and my emails, and you think of it all at once, it's so overwhelming, but you can always just turn on the tap, right? You just turn on the tap a little bit and you maybe start with an email campaign. And that's where you like sort of understand and you get in your voice. And then maybe you start to rebuild your website and you turn the tap on a little bit more. And it's like a gradual turning of a tap. And then by the end of it, it's flowing, right? It's just flowing rather than drinking from a fire hose, everything at once, totally overwhelmed, knocked on your ass. (laughs) Yeah, no way. And maybe this is a helpful tip. Something I do in my business is I happen to track this in notion, but anywhere could work. I have a business ideas board, a place where if I come up with an idea, like what I really want to do is update a certain evergreen funnel, or I want to change something on my website, or I want to try a new initiative. I put them on the board throughout the month. And then I do monthly and quarterly planning in my own business. Mm -hmm. So at the start of the month, I take a look at the board and I ask myself, which of these ideas are the most important measured both in terms of like impact on my revenue, on my bottom line. And in some cases, which do I just feel the most excited about long-term? Like not everything is about the bottom line. Some things are just about like curiosity and creativity, Mm -hmm. but I think having a mix of those is important. But what I don't do very often is change my monthly plan midway through because a month is a short enough amount of time that if I decide at the beginning of January, I decided I was going to do 30 days of TikTok. Mm -hmm. Like that's enough of a commitment that I'm going to do it. And halfway through, I'm not going to add in a different social media strategy. That doesn't make sense to me. But I think that that's a key point is I think a lot of us get two weeks in and then we think we see, we have shiny object syndrome and we think, well, TikTok isn't moving the needle yet. Maybe I need to do Pinterest too. Mm -hmm. And then we get distracted instead of seeing the month through. So I actually think that it's a skill to say not yet. I think it's a learned skill. (laughs) 
Absolutely. And I think being a not yet person has actually been a major reason why I have grown in my business because I've put all of these ideas into this business ideas place. It could literally be a page of a notebook. It does not need to be technical, but it's about capturing the idea. There's a big difference between having an idea and feeling like you have to immediately implement the idea. So just having these two systems in place, one is capture the idea, two is either monthly or quarterly, take a look at those ideas. Don't forget about them. I think that's how I've been able to scale. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then you're able, you have more information, right? By the time you are ready to revisit those ideas, you have more information about what has been moving the needle. What is energy giving to me instead of energy draining? Maybe I make the decision. Maybe you thought like clubhouse is going to be my thing. I'm, I teach about podcasting. Of course I need to be on clubhouse, but after you got more information, you could cross that off the list and know, you know what, that's not for me for whatever reason. So I think like piecing it out, keeping it manageable, especially if you're a team of one, that's another big thing is like knowing your own bandwidth at any given point is so important. It's so, so important. And I think part of being a successful solopreneur in particular is exactly what you just said, which is being a not yet person. I think there's also a trend as a solopreneur, you'll start to notice, let's say you track your tasks. I use Asana could be again, like written down. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you start to notice you keep putting the same things off. Like there are these tasks you're always putting off. Like maybe you thought you were supposed to try TikTok, but you keep putting it off. Like you're not that into it. Or there are a different type of task where maybe like for me, I always dreaded replying to the emails that came into my public inbox, not because I wasn't grateful, but because I just felt like I had too much to do. So I think those are either signs of number one, you don't have to do this. Like in the case of a strategy that somebody else said was a good idea, That doesn't mean it's right for you. You can just kind of put that to the side. But then in the other case, that was an indicator for me that I needed to hire someone. Yes. So I think that was a good little like mental note of, okay, I keep putting off these same kinds of tasks. Maybe I need a little bit of help. So interesting. Um, One of the previous episodes, it's going to be just a couple episodes before this one. I spoke with a virtual assistant and her name's Natalie Rose. She's cute as a freaking button. And I asked her, what are the most common complaints from entrepreneurs when they hire you as a virtual assistant? And she said, the complaints are, they range all over the map, but the core through line is it's the thing they hate doing the most. (laughs) So, and by offloading that one thing, Not only does it free up the time that it would have taken to execute that one thing, it frees up the emotional energy that you spend worrying about not doing that thing. (laughs) Totally. I mean, for every maybe 10 minutes that I would actually spend in my inbox, I probably spent an hour just dreading it. (laughs) Yes. I'm thinking I'm like shaming yourself for like, I should get to this inbox, but I'm going to, yeah, I need to do this first, but Oh God, I really, I've put this off for three days. Like I should have even responded this point, <laughs> like the ticker tape, the mental ticker tape. It's always the real estate in our brain is taken up so much by the things we don't want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even going back to our conversation about the tipping point, when I left my full-time job at teachable, mm. I mentioned that my revenue really started to go up after that. It wasn't just because I was working on my business with more hours. It really was because 
the switching cost in my brain mm. of switching between what am I doing for my business? What am I doing for my full-time job? And how am I keeping myself afloat paying this busy rent in New York city and like yeah. existing as a human being who breathes sometimes <laughs> it was just too much in your brain. And I don't think I realized how taxing that like switching cost was between mm -hmm. all those things until I took one of them out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you have to, it's like leading a double life. <laughs> yeah. Like Kim possible or Miley yeah. Cyrus, like uh, Kim possible. Wow. Yeah. I haven't thought about Kim possible in a very long time. <laughs> Thank you for that throwback. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look, we all have a lot going on and she was definitely ahead of her time. She was so ahead of her time. Wasn't she the same person who did even Stevens? Yeah. Wasn't she also the sister? And, oh my God. Wow. Disney throwback. I just remember the musical episode of even Stevens, whenever it was on Disney channel, it was like the best after school day. And I could like sing along. We went to the moon in 1959. <laughs> Oh my God. I didn't remember it until you started singing it. And now it's all just coming and back. We made the landing that was lunar. <laughs> I am going to find that on Disney plus shortly after this recording. So same, same. Well, Melissa, I don't want to let you go without giving you a chance to talk about your amazing, both your podcasting course and your course creation course. Can we call it that course creation course? Oh yeah. It's all very meta. We've got a podcast previously about podcasting. We've got a course about course creation. That's what the business is all about. So why don't you run down with how you're serving people, where they can find you all that good stuff. Well, I can share this and maybe offer a little bit of how my business works as well. So that people can kind of like see behind the scenes. How did I scale up my podcasting that. course? So when I launched the podcasting program, initially it was a self-paced program. And I was able to earn my first thousand, a little bit more just by running an automated webinar pre-recorded to my small, but mighty email list of 500, but then the world changed. It was March of 2020. And by April, we were all kind of stuck inside. And so I said, do you know, I think I'm going to do a live version of this program. I'm going to do that same webinar I had already made. I'm just going to do it live a couple of times. And I'm going to enroll people into a live version where we'll meet every Monday and we're going to go through this curriculum together. And that brought in 20 new students. And that is how I passed the $10,000 mark as a course creator in my business. And then from there, I've tried all kinds of different strategies, but I think really, when you look at the podcasting program today, you can learn more on my website. I do have a free masterclass, the podcast launch masterclass. You can learn more about my style, how to launch a podcast that lasts long-term and create content that listeners really love and find your first thousand listeners. You'll find it on my website or at whitmoire.com slash masterclass. But from a course creator strategy, you can buy this program at any time. It has hundreds of students and you can learn more about it. You can join. And I did that because I felt that I wanted to be available when people needed me. And I don't think I could have jumped right to that necessarily because I first had to validate demand for the offer and then really fine tune the experience of it. But today that program is a real joy to run. It is a mostly self-paced experience with live weekly group coaching, and then kind of transitioning over to the podcast or to the course creation side of things. We all know I've always hoped to talk about course creation and something that I think is unique about my philosophies are the fact that as you develop your new course, I think there are different teaching and marketing strategies that you use at each phase of your course's life cycle. Agreed. So I call it the course life cycle theory. And you know, because you have courses and when you start that course, the first time you probably have a sense 
of the right idea. You have a sense of a problem that you can help people solve and what the curriculum could look like. But then once you actually put it out there into the world, and then once you get students into it, you start to learn a lot more and you get invaluable feedback from those early students. You learn, maybe you needed to tweak the positioning of it slightly. So I'm a big fan of doing a first round that does not scale, getting really personalized with a lot of those students offering help because you learn so much by getting real examples and then by being legitimately useful. So even if you dream of having this automated course, I like to guide people through a whole process where you go from, again, that smaller course, you don't need a huge audience to get started up until having, I hesitate to use the phrase passive income. I know that's the dream a lot of people want. I think it's (laughs) more like active income. Yeah, but I I do really love talking about course creation. So maybe there's a little peek into how the business has grown and you can learn more about me at wittenwire.com or you'll find me anywhere at wittenwire. I love that. And all of those links will be in the show notes below you guys. So definitely be sure to check out wit and wire and thank you, Melissa, for coming on and talking with us on find your magic. This has been such an insightful conversation. I'm so excited to share it. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody go out there, find some magic and take care. Hey, magic maker. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means you're truly committed to inviting more magic into your life. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to this stuff. Each review truly means so much to me. Thank you for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.